Hi, I'm Dr. Robert Pearl, former CEO of the Permanente Medical Group, Kaiser Permanente, a Stanford Medical and Business School professor, a Forbes contributor and best-selling author of the book Mistreated, Why We Think We're Getting Good Healthcare and Why We're Usually Wrong. And I am Jeremy Kaur, host of the New Books in Medicine podcast. American healthcare is broken. Across the United States, there are over 200,000 patient deaths from medical error every year, growing physician burnout, outdated technology, and inconvenient and delayed care for patients. And on top of all of this, skyrocketing drug prices and increasingly unaffordable out-of-pocket patient expenses. For decades, our nation's political and medical leaders have talked about fixing the American healthcare system, and yet the problems are now greater than in the past. Every other industry that is inefficient and ineffective has experienced disruption. Healthcare will be no different. The question is whether the solutions will come from inside the healthcare system or be imposed on it. We'd like to invite you to listen to our new podcast, Fixing Healthcare with Dr. Robert Pearl and Jeremy Kaur. Each episode will feature one of the top leaders and innovative thinkers in healthcare today. The show's format is simple. The guests will present a roadmap for fixing American healthcare's biggest problems. And from there, Jeremy and I will scrutinize the plan and help listeners separate fixes that have the potential to succeed from simply the hype. Our goal is that everyone from healthcare consumers to political and medical leaders will find value in the discussions on our show. You may not agree with the different solutions offered, but you will never again conclude that nothing can be done. We hope you will join us. Please subscribe via iTunes or your favorite podcast software. For more information, visit our website at www.fixinghealthcarepodcast.com. Welcome to another podcast on the New Books Network. I'm your host today, Monique Dufour. Thank you for listening. I just had the chance to talk with three of the six makers of a new book called Graphic Medicine Manifesto. Um, it's the first book in a new series at Penn State University Press in graphic medicine. Now, the Graphic Medicine Manifesto is made up of original comics, of original essays, and of lots of excerpts and examples from graphic medicine um, across a range of its practitioners and topics. Now, in the interview itself, you'll learn a lot about what graphic medicine is, if you haven't heard of it already. It's a genre, it's a practice, it's a movement, and it's a community. And so it's a really exciting new um, way of thinking about representing and intervening um, in experiences around medicine, as well as embodiment and around health. About halfway through the interview, I picked up in my headphones that there was some furious scratching of pens on paper. And we discovered after the interview was over um, that at some point, each of the three um, writers and artists um, were drawing as they were participating and talking about their work. Um, they all held up their um, the, the comics that they were, were drawing. It, it really testifies to the ways in which, for practitioners of graphic medicine, the centrality of um, comic drawing as a form of thought, as a fundamental aspect of their experience, and as a mode of expression. And maybe more importantly for me, um, what was so exciting about reading the book and um, learning about this genre and talking with them today is that they bring a kind of authentic presence and passion 
to their scholarly and professional endeavors that I think all of us as writers or as readers or artists in our daily lives is so sorely needed and something that we all want very much to animate our lives. Well, graphic medicine literally animates the lives of its practitioners as well as figuratively as they fashion themselves through putting pens and pencils on paper and making sense of the world in a way that its practitioners encourage that all of us can do. I hope you enjoy our interview. Welcome to New Books Network. I'm your host, Monique Dufour. I am genuinely excited today to be able to talk to three of the six authors and makers of the brand new book, Graphic Medicine Manifesto. It's published by Penn State University Press, and it just came out 2015. As we'll hear, this particular book, which is really rich and fascinating, is part of a larger project and movement in graphic medicine itself. Um, first, I'd like to introduce Dr. Susan Merrill Squire. She's Julia Gregg Brill Professor of Women's Studies and English at Penn State University. She co-edits the Penn State University Press book series, Graphic Medicine, which publishes scholarly studies of comics, as well as comics themselves, that enact and explore the experiences of healthcare, medicine, illness, and disability. Our second guest, Dr. Ian Williams, co-edits that Penn State book series with Susan. Ian is a physician and a comics artist who publishes under his nom de plume, Tom Ferrier. Ian co-manages the website graphicmedicine.org with our third guest, C.K. Serwick. Um, Excuse me, M.K. Serwick. M.K. is a nurse and an artist-in-residence at Northwestern's Feinberg School of Medicine, She's also known as Comic Nurse. Welcome to all of you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. I'd like to take a moment to let our listeners get to know each one of you individually. Um, and uh, by the way, I should mention that all of you appear and speak as characters in the book um, and offer chapters to it. Um, in the opening and closing chapters, you're very charmingly um, uh, illustrated as as yourselves, and I would like to be the first to vote for puppets. I, I will buy one. Um, they're fabulous. Um, but, um, and you write in the introduction that each author brings a very unique perspective to the work of graphic medicine. So I'd like to hear one at a time from each of you how you came in your work to this thing that you're calling graphic medicine and um, how your, your own work brings that unique perspective. Let's start with Susan. Um, in the beginning of the book, you're, you're depicted in the book as an articulate chicken who often roosts on a stack of books. I love it. Um, So maybe at some point you can also explain the chicken. Um, So Susan, tell us a little bit about how you came to graphic medicine and how this um, fits in the journey of your own scholarship and career. Well, um, I came to graphic medicine when I was doing work on um, what you would think of as uh, cultural studies of medicine. I was really interested in talking about the whole lifespan and how it had been changing not just in medicine, but because of the influence of literature. And I was finishing a book on that and found I was writing about this wonderful comic called Bad Blastocyst, mm-hmm. um, which is a comic about stem cell research. And that was my topic, one of my topics in that book. Um, so that was something that brought me into graphic medicine in a scholarly way. But I am one of those people who read comics when I was a kid. And um, even though I 
sort of moved away from comics as I became an English professor, I was still always very interested in reading them. And then it was the wonderful serendipity of connecting up with the group of people, with Ian, with Michael Green, with MK, uh, at the graphic medicine conferences and discovering that this rich field was open to us. Um, I should say two more things about this before I stop. Um, One is that I really have always been drawn to interdisciplinary fields, fields that work across disciplines and do the hard work really of translating and speaking outside of the culture of expertise and um, making everybody kind of level as they explore issues. And that's one of the things that drew me to graphic medicine. It's been something I've been involved with in my work as a women's studies scholar for years as well. Uh-huh. Um, let, me just, let me just say one thing about the chicken. Um, uh-huh. my, last book, my last book was a book on chickens. And um, it was very interdisciplinary. It was an ABC book that took um, each letter of the alphabet up to the letter I uh, as a prompt for a particular perspective on life and human beings and animals that we could get if we looked through the lens of the chicken. Mm-hmm. So um, that was so much fun to write. That, and also, I happened to be able to draw chickens. <laughs> so when we all drew our avatars, mm-hmm. I kept drawing, drawing people and thinking, eh, and then I drew a chicken, and it was great, I thought. And MK and Ian helped me with it. And uh, so that's why I'm a chicken. The other reason I'm a chicken is because I think it's ridiculous that animal medicine and you know, veterinary medicine and human medicine exist as if they were on two totally different planets. And yet we know that there is so much cross traffic between the two fields and so much that could be learned if vets and doctors talk to each other. Ah, fantastic. Um, Ian, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, What's your background and what's your work and how did you come to graphic medicine? Well, I trained as a doctor initially, but I was always into art when I was in school and I had to decide whether to go to study art or study medicine. Uh, I chose to study medicine um, but I continued to make artwork and then after studying uh, a few years after qualifying I, I went to art school part-time um, as a, a post-grad and then um, developed a, a, a practice of uh, painting and printmaking Uh, and so I was sort of had one foot in either world in medicine and in art and I felt that I had no I felt like I was split I had no language to connect the two Um, and I started looking around for sort of ways to connect the two kind of uh, bits of my career if you like and I came across the discipline of medical humanities or this interdisciplinary field and I did an MA in medical humanities and I thought I'd be writing my dissertation about some sort of um, visual arts to do with, uh, you know, fine art to do with medicine but actually I realised part way, way into it that the link for me between the world of art and the world of medicine lay in comics because I was reading loads of um, graphic novels and comics, and I would have always been into comics. And I found, I came across Brian Fies' book, uh, Mom's Cancer, in mm-hmm. 
Tate Modern actually in the in the bookshop of Tate Modern Gallery in London, and I thought, oh gosh, I wonder uh-huh. if there are more comics uh, about uh, medis- medical subjects. So I started to look around, and I found more and more. And then I started to look for research and papers. Uh, I found Susan's. Uh, I found a, an article by Susan in. Uh, uh, literature and medicine about it, but there was very little written about it at that time. Um, so I wrote my dissertation, and then I had—I was reading loads of graphic novels, so I had loads of material. So I set up a website called Graphic Medicine, and that's when lots of people started to contact me from all over the world, including Michael Green and MK, and then we put our heads together and we organized this conference in London um, in 2010. That's where we all kind of met up. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really changed my life. Doing that MA changed my life. Um, I'm now uh, part of this wonderful community, mm-hmm. traveling all over the world, talking, talking about comics and medicine. Um, and then, well, also then at some stage, uh, I was reading all these comics and I thought, oh, maybe I could make some comic strips about my early experience as a junior doctor. And I, um, it's kind of a doctor type of thing to do to sort of, <laughs> I could do that. So uh, <laughs> kind of, um, I did and people seemed to like them and then um, I carried on. And yeah, initially, as you said in the introduction, I made it under a pseudonym, uh, Tom Ferrier, but I've kind of since ditched that pseudonym because... Oh. Um, I had a graphic novel published last year um, by Myriad called The Bad Doctor, Mm -hmm. and uh, they persuaded me to go back to my real name so that I would tie up the kind of two sides of things, or or else they suggested I would split again. You know, I'd I'd have Tom Ferrier as the comics artist and Ian Williams as the, you know, graphic medicine writer. So um, I've uh, joined the two again, and I I use my real name now. So... Mm -hmm. uh, so and that's out in the states uh, as well from Penn State University Press, the Bad Doctor, and mm-hmm. it's just come out in France as well. Oh wow, that's fantastic! And what about you, MK? How did you? What's your story? And how did you come to graphic medicine? Um, uh, so my origin story, as I talk about in my chapter mm-hmm. in the book, is that um, I was working as an AIDS nurse in uh, throughout the '90s, and then at around in Chicago. Um, and around 2000, our unit was looking like it was going to close and, um, but yet we were still losing people that we knew who weren't going to survive. And I was, it was sort of the, I was working the evening shift three to 11 and it was the morning after someone who I'd grown very close to, uh, over the last few years had passed away. And I was also feeling a great deal of grief about the fact that our age unit was closing, which was a very complicated emotion because I wanted to be happy. I mean, this was this great moment that everyone had wanted, you know, and yet for me, I was also grieving because I wasn't sure what I was going to do next. I had no idea because this had been a place that had, I, in which I had found so much meaning. And so, um, I, I, and I've told this story, but it really is true. I was sitting with a blank piece of paper and I, didn't know what to do. I had been sort of drawing little things along the way to process patient care experiences, and I had been writing. But then this moment, it felt like both words and images were failing me. But I had to get to work at three o'clock and be present that next day to those patients. But I didn't 
I was like, you know, this is, we don't really teach healthcare providers how to really process multiple grieving experiences or process their own feelings so that they can be present. So I literally just drew this picture of myself and then I drew a few words over it and then I put a box around it. Um, <laughs> and then it, it was in the top left part of the page and I remembered back in college loving the comics of Linda Berry. Um yes. And feeling very, very influenced in my career and since then uh, by Linda Berry and her work. <laughs> and I remember that, that she would write a little text at the top and then draw an image. And sometimes the image had a, diff- a really unique relationship with the text. And it's fascinating. And it became very clear to me the power of this medium. And um, I wasn't thinking about that in that moment. All I was thinking was, well, there's one box. I guess, you know, I could just make another box and then I could start making a comic. And so I put this next box into it. And what's fascinating was what I didn't realize in the time is that when you make one box and you write a statement, the next box, you know, the space in between them, the gutter space implies time. Uh And so you have to take this static state. And I think the words I had written were something like, I feel miserable. Uh And then something has to happen, right? You can't just stay there. Something has to happen. Uh And so then I just started writing about what was bothering me and and this patient I'd lost and the unit and whatever. And I just kept going and what was amazing to me was I'd started in this place of just despair. And then nine boxes later, I found myself like it worked. Like I was, I felt hope. I felt like, okay, I, you know, I'm going to move on. I, I was ready to be present to those patients that day. And so for me making comics, it started as a very, very, very practical way of reflecting on my practice as a nurse and a tool that was useful to me. Um, and then the unit did close and I had to think about what I was going to do next. And I tried a number of different things and I kept making these comics because they did work. And then I found myself making comics about the six years I had worked and the patients that I had cared about. And, and I kind of felt like I really wanted to make this a bigger project, but I also realized that, um, number one, I I didn't really have anything more than a very native visual language. Um, And I could have, I suppose, gone to art school and learned how to draw proper perspective and all that. But somehow I felt like part of what, and I had shown these comics to a number of people and they found them really resonant. And I'd set up a website called comicnurse.com and people Mm -hmm. were reading them and responding very positively. And I thought, you know, I think there is something in the very basic visual language that I don't want to change. Um, I'll let it change organically over time. What I thought maybe would be more helpful for me to learn about was um, in, uh, from here forward, the, the story is actually somewhat similar to Ian's. Um, I decided to get a degree in, in medical humanities and, and formally think about the context of the healthcare experience. And I was also very conscious of the role of story in healthcare, how we construct stories, um, why we construct stories around illness as caregivers, as patients, as a family. Why do we need to tell this illness narrative? Mm-hmm. Why do we, you know, what certain, what does it do for us? All of those things. I had originally majored in English and philosophy in my undergrad. So I thought this was a great way to kind of pick that back up and, and kind of think about those things. And again, similar to Ian, uh, my last, uh, in my last course, uh, period, I came across Brian Feese's Mom's Cancer at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Chicago, and it blew open my thinking because mm-hmm. I had, during the course of the degree, taking like literature and medicine and you know bioethics mm-hmm. and history of medicine, I had kind of kept it on this back burner, but in my mind, they were all there to serve my project um, about comics and this age unit, but I wasn't really talking about that. I, that was just this quiet thing, but what Brian's book made me do exactly what... Uh, Ian did was to say, wait a minute, this could have a serious role in healthcare, Mm -hmm. but the way that he critiques the system, the way that he presents the 
um, lived experience of illness. Are we, you know, this is something I should take very seriously. So I spent that last term really looking very closely at the role. And, and then, again, this is where we all meet up. I started researching it online and found Ian's website and then decided to go to London to present at that first conference. Uh-huh. It's hard to believe that conference was um, in 2010, so much has happened since then. Um, it's, uh, I, I'd like to, this has been a great start. I'd like, before we dive into the specifics of the book, I'd like to spend a little bit more time trying to tease out some of the really um, rich um, dimensions of graphic medicine itself. Um, because when I hear all of you talk and I read the book and I look at the movement, um, it seems like it's, there's so much to it. So, um, First of all, I'd, I'd like to hear each of you talk a little bit about how you see graphic medicine connected to other disciplines, because I think that the connection to medical humanities or health humanities is a really interesting and surprisingly complex one. Um, Susan, could you start us out with that? How do you see graphic medicine connected to the medical humanities or health humanities? Well, um, I think what graphic medicine has to do with the health humanities is... Um, the opportunity to for people who haven't been and maybe listened to or haven't had the chance to express their experiences, whether they're patients or physicians or family members or people with disabilities, um, giving them the opportunity to express those in a way that is very resonant, very quickly um, appreciated appreciated and really moves across all kinds of communities quite easily. Um, And I guess for me, this is particularly important because as an academic, a lot of what we do is talk to each other. And that's been my, um, you know, big, uh, that's been the appeal of this. It's also been the struggle is to learn how to find ways to communicate to people who aren't other academics, um, And graphic medicine is an amazing way to do that because you can immediately make accessible and visible if you use, if you use a comic to talk about something. Mm -hmm. Issues that range from um, concerns in disability studies to issues in animal studies to issues and and certainly in literature and medicine. Um, I think there has been a tendency in literature and medicine that, um, I think is understandable and um, I have a lot of sympathy with, but to, to view the role of um, literature as the handmaiden or humanizer or uh-huh. explainer mm-hmm. <laughs> of what's going on in medicine mm-hmm. and um, to kind of hold medicine stable and not critique it, That's right. but instead find the really rich, uh, representation of it. Mm-hmm. And while that's certainly true, and, you know, um, the death of Ivan Illich is amazing, mm-hmm. um, what I love about graphic medicine is it's a little edgier, mm-hmm. or it can be, <laughs> and it speaks for people who may be outsiders, and it speaks of experiences that don't often get spoken of. Mm-hmm. And so I think it brings that into literature and medicine and kind of shakes things up in a really positive way. Uh-huh. Ian or MK, would you like to jump in on that? Um, I was just going to say that just to echo uh, what Susan's saying. So, you know, you mentioned like unique perspective. Um, One of the perspectives that I feel like I bring is um, of the, you know, uh, on-site caregiver. I I was a Mm -hmm. caregiver in my family and in um, professional sense. And 
Um, I think, you know, from that perspective, I'm always saying that, you know, as a nurse, I've seen so many things go wrong um, that didn't need to go wrong because the contextualized lived experience of the patient is not being attended to in the clinical encounter. Mm -hmm. So, for example, one of the classic examples that sticks in my head is um, a... uh, guy comes in with new new diagnosis, high blood pressure, and um, a prescription is written and he is just sent off with a prescription. And then a week later, this this actually happened to me, a week later he was back on our unit with out of control blood pressure. And I said, well, you were just here last week, what happened? And he mm-hmm. said, um, I had to decide between buying groceries mm-hmm. and filling this prescription. And what was missed was no one had talked about his life. And mm-hmm. This is all very relevant here in that I think that um, graphic medicine has the unique power because we um, people living with illness and caregiving are drawing graphic novels and draw, making comics about the contextualized lived experience of those of that diagnosis and living with it. And the it ha- graphic medicine, I think, has an incredible power to amplify the voice of patients and caregivers in the clinical experience. And as Susan sort of alluded to, these are voices that have been marginalized. Mm-hmm. And our reflex oh, action, if I could mm-hmm. just jump yes, in, yes. Is, I think is to marginalize them. I mean, as soon as MK started talking, I realized, and I had dropped out caregivers. And there's something about our definition mm-hmm. of medicine that uh, has been partial because of those reflexes. And so I think that's another thing that this is so great for, is to get us to rethink, what, what do we mean by medicine? What do we mean by caregiving? What do we, you know, mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. Ian? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I, the link between graphic medicine and health or medical humanities, I, yeah, I'd like to pick up on a couple of things that uh, both uh, MK and Susan said. Um, the health humanities or medical humanities is a very kind of broad area mm-hmm. and um, there is a tendency for some people to see it as as some sort of humanizing force for healthcare mm-hmm. and I, I, I don't really kind of buy that at mm-hmm. all I kind of what excites me about um, medical humanities is um, using the sort of conceptual tools if you like of, of other disciplines to really look at healthcare and um, there's a there's an important like uh, critiquing function to it it's kind of like looking from the outside looking what people are doing and, and kind of reporting back on it in a um, um, in, in new ways using new perspectives and um, I think that Susan sort of used the word edgy for comics and, and I think comics are ideal at examining healthcare either through the experience of healthcare, what people are doing in healthcare, patients' own experience. And the reason that comics can be edgy is I think that the, the most of the comics that we tend to be interested in are a kind of memoir come from the kind of memoir genre of mm-hmm. comics which grew really out of uh, the underground tradition of uh, American underground comics where people first started doing autobiographical work. Mm-hmm. And because those, com- those people making uh, autobiographical work like Spain Rodriguez and Robert Crumb and Art Spiegelman were working in a really edgy uh, way with um, a very confessional way sort of bearing their souls. Uh-huh. Um, comics have kind of retained that that confessional element and I think they're able to go places and say things that, that are not, some, that are accepted in comics as part of, you know, this slightly edgy um, 
kind of flavour to them that, that are harder to say in other media, I think. Um, and that's what I kind of like about it. And there is this tradition of kind of like trying to be really honest and trying to bear, you know, the, the truth, if you like, uh, through using comics. Mm-hmm. And they can be used in so many ways. I mean, uh, you know, um, they can be used to report on issues. They can be made by people who are going through experiences. Um, and uh, the, the ones that I'm particularly interested in, I guess, um, are the, the, the memoirs uh, mm-hmm. made by people who maybe are already making comics or have just started to make comics who've gone through some... Um, uh, some illness experience mm-hmm. I, and um, there's just so much kind of rich material in them they're, they're incredible and people find through making comics these people are finding sort of exciting new ways of expressing things that you know um, uh, you know are written down repeatedly you know written in sort of text or whatever or use or um, sort of uh, displayed in medical images, but through comics, people are finding sort of new ways of of, of expressing experience, and that's what I find really exciting about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. I I hear the word uh, making being used repeatedly, and I refer to you as the authors of this book actually as makers without really even thinking about it. And I think that it also brings up something I'm hearing underneath the um, your discussion about graphic medicine itself that um, there's something sort of really um, visceral but also accessible about the making of comics that may be not as accessible in the telling of narratives or in the making of art. And, you know, because there's an ambiguity that MK and Ian, you noted that you first discovered really potent comics in, you know, quite highbrow bookstores in major museums, right? But these are things also that are accessible to people who don't think about themselves as artists. Um, how do you see that sort of infusing graphic medicine with a kind of power as well? Um, well, one thing to say is that first, when I first started buying comics, as, obviously we all read comics as, a, as mm-hmm. children, but then when I started buying, when I got into underground comics uh, as a teenager and I was reading American sort of underground stuff, I was buying them in exceedingly lowbrow <laughs> shops. They right. were kind of like imported right. Britain uh, into the most kind of seediest kind of head shops and mm-hmm. like uh, places that sort of seem to kind of, um, yeah, kind of specialise in esoteric literature, comics, and <laughs> pornography, basically. Well, uh, I think that there's a reason why in each of your chapters you all have a coming out story about how you like comics. You know, that there's something you have to confess about even, you know, loving the genre itself. And I think that that valence of it, Ian, has something to do with it. Mm. Um, so can can anybody draw a comic? Can anybody make graphic medicine? Uh, I believe so. Well, this sounds like yeah. a thicker impact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I focus a lot on that in my chapter. Um, yeah. In that, uh, I, my chapter is titled The Crayon Revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason is because... Um, there's this great quote from Linda Berry where she says, you know, if I had a 40-year-old and a 4-year-old in front of me and the 4-year-old refused to draw or said they couldn't draw, we'd be really worried about that little Mm -hmm. kid, right? But if a 40-year-old refused to draw, we'd say that's totally normal. Mm -hmm. And she asks, why is that? Why is it that as adults we 
no long, many, most adults, many adults no longer use their visual language. Um, left it somewhere in, in third or fourth grade. And I think that um, there's a great power in, in picking up uh, a t- crayon because many of us feel safe. Like I, I do a lot of workshops with people and I always start with crayons because I don't hear that I can't draw um, because crayons, we all remember what it's like to draw with crayons and people feel like they're not going to be as judged by themselves and by others if they use crayons. Mm-hmm. And so I always think that even at that most basic uh, level, um, yes, the the... And this is what my a lot of my research area of interest is right now is um, the from a neurologic perspective and from just many other perspectives. What can we access by using visual language that we can't by using either spoken word or text? Um, is sort of this area of um, like knowing through drawing. Um, and there's some really interesting research going on uh, right now about that. And so um, I think the answer to your question is yes that that uh, we each possess a visual language. Language. Either it's what we left off with in third or fourth grade, or whatever we've developed along the way, um, and so it's it's you know it's a very accessible medium, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and if I ahead, could Susan. just jump yes, in, please. one huge thing seems to me, and I'm saying this as a person who really always thought of myself as a word person, not a drawing person, mm-hmm. right? Because I was probably hived off in that direction somewhere around third or fourth grade. Mm-hmm. But a huge thing is to make it okay to do what you do rather than um, trying to do what you think you should do. Uh. You know, I mean, letting yourself not have to draw something that looks just like something, but instead finding how you draw, what your style is. MK gave me a really great tip, which um, I would pass on to anybody, (laughs) which is get yourself a really nice pen, get yourself a square book, divide it into four sections and just draw every day. Mm-hmm. And um, I haven't been able to do it this whole year, but I've done it a lot of this year while I've been on sabbatical, mm-hmm. and I'm looking forward to coming back to it. And it's, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful way of doing a journal mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. visually. Yes. As MK said earlier, and then nine boxes later, something has happened, right? Yeah. Um, I think that it might be a good time to just dive into the book and start um, continuing on with um, MK. Your chapter comes uh, pretty late in the book, but... I think it's a good time to just let you expand a bit on what you call the power of the crayon. So what is the power of the crayon? Um, and how does it work? Like, how can it work upon us? Um, so I, what I talk about, my chapter is organized around a course that I teach to medical students at Northwestern. Um, and I designed the course after I finished my degree and started looking at these things, and it's called Drawing Medicine. And so to answer your question by example... Um, so these are first and second year medical students. They're very conscious of the fact that they sort of have to pretend to be doctors in clinical encounters, but aren't. And so those are the issues that they're struggling with. Um, and I don't ask about any of that. So for the first day of class, I just say, uh, one of the examples that I use is that I say, um, draw the clinical encounter. Mm-hmm. And I'm purposely very uh, vague in my directions. They always just sort of stare at me and they have crayons in their hands and they draw what's so fascinating. And this is what I mean is that when you go to draw something, it's different than when you, um, 
write text because I think I, I, this is only conjecture of what they would come up with when they wrote text probably would be about um, different things. I won't even conjecture, just different things. So when they go to draw it, they end up drawing about their anxieties of um, pretending to be doctors when they're not, right? So for example, one student drew a big elephant sitting between himself as the patient and the the, I'm sorry, himself as the doctor and the patient. And he said, you know, the elephant is everything um, that I don't know. And the fact that we both know, patient and doctor, that I don't know what I'm doing, right? So, I mean, and I've got many examples of the ways in which just asking someone a very simple prompt to, and that they draw in crayon again for the non-threatening piece of it, but they're welcome to move to any other medium they choose to. Sometimes they go to color pencils and markers and, um, you know, they choose whatever media they want. Um, I think that, uh, that's just really powerful. And what's powerful about is, is the conversations we have afterwards so that here this person has drawn their own sense of, uh, inability or, or vulnerability. And then we have a conversation around that. And that's, what's really powerful in terms of getting the conversation started. And, and what I think of as like, a, you know, reflecting on their practice as will be doctors. Mm-hmm. Is this a standard course in the curriculum for medical students now, MK? No, it's a part of a series of humanities electives. So mm-hmm. they choose to be in this course. They choose among a number of options. Mm-hmm. And what do they? What do you have them do with these comics? Do these have a, a an afterlife? Um, if I encourage them to put them up on their fridge, like, <laughs> um, and I, they have an afterlife in that I just recently, I've been doing this for six years now, uh-huh. and I recently went back and interviewed a student who was three or four years out from, three years out, because he just is finishing up from taking this class as a first year, and what was neat was that in his drawing that I, I just mentioned, Draw the Clinical Encounter, he had drawn this thing about... His, his, he's sitting there. It's a very Picasso-esque drawing. It's really wonderful. And he's got this enormous arm around his patient. And he has this heart drip drawn on himself. And he said, when he talked about that when he was a first year, he said, I want to remember that this is why I went into medicine, to be present to my patients. Mm-hmm. And then when I went back and interviewed him just recently, um, he said, I'm so glad to see that again. Because between then and now... I feel like all these facts have been shoved into my head Mm -hmm. and, you know, you've only got so much room in your head. He says, sometimes what goes out is remembering the patient and their experience and their, what they're going through. Mm -hmm. And he said, it's really good to see that now to kind of put that back in the forefront for me. Yeah. I want to ask you about one more thing that I'm going to ask each of you when I get to each of your chapters is that there is a, a sense of the importance of play uh, productive play, serious play, and all of these practices. What is the role of play in your approach to teaching graphic medicine in these courses? Um, I think, well, you know, Ian and I talk about that in the introduction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's also, you know, in healthcare, play is, you know, you, you sort of feel a little guilty about play because it's not <laughs> supposed to be fun. Um, I think for me, um, just thinking about the feedback I get from my students um, I create an environment where I want them, though we'll be talking about very serious topics, 
to feel the freedom to play. Uh, we do exercises like a jam comic where we take, you know, one person draws a box and then passes it to the next person and passes it on and on and on. And that's very playful in that it's very improvisational mm-hmm. and often they're riffing on all of the, you know, venting some of the stress of the experience that they're going through. Um, but I think creating an environment of safety and play is what, um, I try to do with uh, this work so that um, but I, oh, I, what I started mentioning is that the feedback from my students is that the you know medical students are under so much pressure as you can imagine and they're constantly being judged and graded and the environment you know I have these ground rules um, in my classroom and, and the goal of them is to create an environment in which they're not feeling super judged. Mm -hmm. And that's the piece they feel most grateful for. Mm -hmm. Um, One of my students said, you know, thank you for creating the opportunity for me to fail because in my whole academic career, I've never been allowed to fail. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and the irony of that is he actually had done amazing work, but he let himself try to fail, you know, Mm -hmm. draw terribly, but actually it was beautiful what Uh he did. Great. I want to turn to Susan um, and to talk a bit about your conception of medical, uh, of a graphic medicine in the chapter of the book, where you conceive of it as a form of engaged scholarship. So how is graphic medicine a form of engaged scholarship? Well, I think the first way is that um, it it reaches out to people who don't even think of themselves necessarily as being concerned with medicine or the medical humanities. And I can uh, talk about my own experience teaching it as a graduate seminar in an English graduate program to students who were specializing in all sorts of things in English that didn't seem to have anything to do with medicine, um, medieval history, I mean, you know, medieval literature or 20th century rhetoric or whatever. Um, But in this class, which was a graphic medicine class, um, in the middle hour of this three-hour seminar, um, they all... Put, the, put down what they were working on, the, the things we were writing about and talking about, and they all learned to make comics. And um, all of them, including me, and no, every so often you'll have one person who actually has had some experience drawing, but because these are English grad students, mostly not. And so um, it was a real, it has been a real chance to um, play and to connect to an area that doesn't immediately seem to have anything to do with your work identity. But what happened in this class, and what I think makes it such a great vehicle for um, engagement, is all of a sudden these students discovered, I, I asked them to make a comic about an experience of illness or medical treatment or caregiving that was either theirs or someone close to them. And they got so gripped by the experience of doing this. Um, I can give you three instances of students who, one student made a comic of a difficult home birth with a midwife in attendance. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another one who was the medieval studies person who was just going to do something on comics in relation to illuminated manuscripts, got caught up in a health insurance crisis on our campus and went on to write it, make a comic about it and then write her final, final paper on it. And another student who was a military veteran who had suffered traumatic wounding in a war made a comic about his experience of being wounded. And in, in effect, 
he then wrote his paper on this and on the experience of making the comic and of comics about traumatic wounding. And in that paper, he talked about how he had, that the process of making the comic had helped to heal him in ways that he thought were really important. Um, and he advanced cartooning as a way of dealing with post-traumatic stress syndrome. Now, I think what happened with each of these students was all of a sudden they realized that even if they weren't ever going into medicine, all of them inevitably, like all of us, um, were going to experience issues related to medicine, experience being ill, experience having a person in their family be ill or caring for that person. And all of a sudden, they became more engaged um, participants in that experience. I mean, when I write about it, I say consumers, but I really hate that term because it seems to me mm-hmm. it's not about being a consumer of healthcare. It's about being sort of a knowing person on the healthcare journey, whatever that is, <laughs> a knowing participant in that experience. And um, that's something that we tend to not realize is pretty crucial for all of us, not just the people who work in the medical sector or the healthcare sector. We all need to know how to navigate that for ourselves and for our families. And in my experience of teaching that class, that's what the students learned, is how to be engaged in it, how to care about it, how mm-hmm. to feel it and think about it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that answers the question. Oh, no, that's, that's a great that's a great start. I just wanted to be able to bring out some of the other things in the chapter. And how do you see um, graphic medicine as sort of connecting to other forms of um, or areas of engaged scholarship um, that are out there? Uh, in addition to the medical humanities, for example, you talk, I think, really well about um, how, med- how graphic medicine can connect to disability studies. Um, could you talk oh, a little absolutely. bit about that? I was fascinated <laughs> sure. by that section of the chapter. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, I think one of the things that drew me to graphic medicine was that I've always been working in these areas that I think of as engaged scholarship, women's studies, animal studies, disability studies. Mm -hmm. And um, disability studies in particular is a a really uh, rich field for graphic medicine because it's about the visualized or experienced it's about the visualized being visualized experience of being different, if you will. Um, and disability studies, you know, the key concept in disability studies is nothing about us without us. Meaning, do not talk or write about disability um, without actually incorporating the perspective, writing with or talking with someone with a disability. And um, comics have... Uh, Comics are, there are a lot of comics out there um, by people with disabilities. The one that was particularly powerful to me, although there are so many, um, is Kaiseleka's I Am Not These Feet, mm-hmm. about, uh, by, written by a woman who had horrible congenital arthritis in her feet that was so bad that she ultimately decided to have her feet amputated and um, start instead go to wearing prosthetic feet. And um, this is a story that's so great because it both gets you to see the experience of a disability from the inside, learning to walk with prosthetics, learning what it feels like to accommodate your body to different kinds of prosthetic feet. But um, 
It is also something I would never have come across in my own work had I not already been into the comics community, into graphic medicine. I met Kaiseleka at a um, museum of comic and cartoon art event in New York City. She was sitting at a table with her comics, having come over from Finland with them. Um, it's, it's the non-academic route, but it's so powerfully interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fantastic. Ian, I want to turn to you, and your chapter is called Comics and the Iconography of Illness. Um, and uh, you, you, you say that you're going to, you're going to talk about um, the comic memoir of illness uh, and what Green and Myers have termed graphic pathography. Could you talk a little bit about what graphic pathography is? Uh, well, that was a term that was coined by Michael Green and Kimberly Myers um, to denote the kind of graphic memoir of illness. So um, there's this, over the past 20, 25 years, I guess, there's been this uh, boom in the comic uh, illness uh, memoir. Uh, So people making, you know, exactly what we've been talking about, I guess, people making comics about their own experience, uh, autobiographical comics. Um, So the graphic pathography was what uh, Michael and Kimberly have, have termed those autobiographical comics of illness. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of... That, that's my primary interest, really. Uh, comics can be used in all sorts of ways, uh, you know, uh, for giving information um, uh, as uh, essays or whatever, but I'm primarily uh, interested in comics that are made by people who've been through the either caregivers or people who've been through the illness experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, when I first started writing about comics, I was primarily interested in the narrative. Um, I'd, I'd come from this kind of um, visual arts uh, sort of background, I guess. And uh, uh, then when I did my MA in Medical Humanities, I got really into to narrative and, and uh, uh, became really interested in that. But then and wrote some articles about uh, illness narrative and uh, in comics. But then for this book chapter, I started to look again at the visual, dis- the visual depiction mm-hmm. um, of illness and, and wonder really what people were doing in making comics, in, in actually kind of portraying their own bodies, drawing mm-hmm. themselves uh, over and over again. So uh, I became interested in this concept of what Sander Gilman calls um, the iconography of illness, the way that sort of um, visual depictions of illness uh, give out, give uh, messages uh, and, and are kind of designed to to actually transmit um, information or, or viewpoints. Um, when I was in medical school, um, which was quite a while ago now, um, we were obviously learned a lot from medical images. We, you know, it's it's always been a, a big way of learning things in um, in healthcare. Is you know looking at visual information. But one thing that I realized when I got into medical humanities was that nobody in medical school ever questioned um, the, the kind of motives, if you like, behind, say, medical photography or medical illustration. It was always, give, it was always taken to be a very neutral medium. Like, um, I suppose if you'd asked me when I was back at medical school, you know, what is... Uh, 
to talk about a, a medical photograph, mm-hmm. I, I, I would kind of assume that it was just, uh, it was kind of pu- neutral in the way it represented that illness or deformity or whatever, that it was just purely the most clear way of, of, uh, of um, getting the information over. But, uh, of course, I mean, photographs are made, photographs are constructed, uh, and art is constructed and illustrations are constructed and behind that construction there are kind of uh, there are motives there are there are kind of there's a thinking behind it mm-hmm. so um i started to kind of think about this with regards to comics because comics are so obviously constructed that they they bring this kind of artificially artificiality to the fore, if you like, in the way that photo, photography or medical illustration doesn't. Um, so I became really interested in what people were kind of doing when they were when they were drawing themselves, like, you know, how how they kind of like decided made made these how they decided to sort of draw their their well, their illness or their kind of symptoms or whatever. And, and I think that comics artists are, are... There is a kind of an established comics language, if you like. So um, comics artists uh, will use, you know, movement lines or kind of uh, art or things coming, like coming out of uh, people. You know, you, well, we all know kind of the comics language we, we can recognize you know steam coming out of somebody's ears means they're angry or what <laughs> or um and, but comics is and again it comes back to play comics artists are incredibly inventive i think in finding new ways of portraying um what their experience is so i became interested in that i guess mm-hmm. wrote yeah. In my chapter, uh huh. And you talk about different kinds of illnesses that are represented. Um, you talk about manifest illnesses, concealed illnesses, and invisible illnesses. Could you talk a little bit about the invisible illnesses? I found that really fascinating. Um, well, I guess that yeah, what I was trying to think about or write about was was that um, you know, if you somebody like Kaiser Lecker, I suppose, mm-hmm. uh, who um, um, Susan mentioned earlier has got uh, a kind of visible, uh, uh, visible. Am- well, she's she's got two below knee amputations, mm-hmm. and so her disability, if you like, is is immediately obvious. Although I do think that she actually makes some very interesting choices in the ways that she um, decides to portray herself and and her artificial mm-hmm. legs and everything. Um, so, but. One thing that, that within comics, uh, within autobiographical comics, there's a lot of people making comics about mental illness. Uh, and so mm-hmm. the disability, if you like, or the illness, um, if it is a mental illness, is, is invisible. And um, I kind of find it fascinating that people find different ways of portraying their, their mental illness. And that, that they can portray it through sort of projecting fantasy, if you like, onto the, uh, onto the comic page so that we can see kind of what is going on inside their head in visual form. Or they might portray it by their bodily position. And one thing I wondered about was, you know, there is, there is a tradition uh, within fine art of representing certain moods. So in the book... Uh, 
There's a um, reproduction of um, uh, Dürer's mm-hmm. Melancholia One, where um, we see an angel kind of like with his slumped position, with sort of like hand um, propping up the sort of chin, uh, and we kind of instantly <laughs> recognise that as some some as as melancholy. Um, uh, I started to wonder: is that do we you know it? Where did that phrase, where did that pose come from? Have we learned that pose because we've seen it in art, or is that a natural pose that we adopt when we're um, melancholic? But it kind of uh, is it a, some sort of g- genetic thing? Where does it come from? What picked first? You know, um, but we certainly know when we see people looking melancholic and sort of sitting in that position, we know we know what's going on, and people use that sort of visual language to portray these sort of. Um, uh, feelings within comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are the kind of things I was interested in. So I should note um, that the book reproduces lots of examples from many of your um, the comics that represent the ideas that you talk about or that are particularly um, inspirational or important to you. Um, there's also an excellent bibliography for people who are just exploring this genre as well. Um, I would like to hear from each of you if I know it's hard to choose, but could you um, share what you would consider to be one of your favorite examples of graphic medicine? MK, could we start with you? Um, it's, do you mean specifically the one that I, I share in the book? Oh, no, you, you could say anything at all. Which, which, if you, for, especially for, for listeners out there who really haven't read much of this material, um, what, are some of, what are, maybe are some of your favorite examples of graphic medicine that you would recommend to them to take a look at? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm standing here staring at an entire bookshelf of graphic novels <laughs> on illness and um yeah. it's really amazing how much is out there. And wow. so my favorite usually is uh new for the week of this amazing new thing mm-hmm. I found. But um I would say I guess because this is part of what I excerpt in the chapter because um what I talk a lot about in this interview and generally is about that everyone can do this. Yeah. I'd like to recommend a book called Cancer Made Me a Shallower Person uh-huh. by Miriam Engelberg. Mm-hmm. And it's a wonderful account of uh, very humorous, but also very authentic and real to the experience of her uh, breast cancer treatment. And what's amazing about that book is the way I understand the story was that she was working on it and she wanted to find a professional illustrator um, because she said, I can't draw. But then at some point she realized that she just didn't have time for that. And so she just started doing the drawings herself and they are absolutely amazing. And you really look at this and you, you read it and you're so moved by it. And it's such a profound experience. And you also can think I could do that. Yeah, I could do that. Um, so that's, uh, that would be my recommendation. Great. What about you, Susan? Well, um, I feel the same way MK does. There are a million favorite comics, but uh, in in the graphic medicine vein, there are so many. And I tend to be attracted to the ones that maybe aren't um, immediately the first noticed. But I have to say, uh, for me too, Brian Fees' Mom's Cancer was huge. But I guess I want to talk about one that's kind of on the side, but I love it. It's by a cartoonist in Chicago named John. John Porcelino, and it wouldn't even be recognizable as graphic medicine necessarily. It's called Mosquito Abatement Man. It's these beautiful, tiny, clear line drawings that are very naive as they begin and then get cleaner and cleaner, but still are always very simple. And it's his experience of working as somebody who sprays mosquitoes out in, um, you know, out in the country 
kill them Mm -hmm. so that they can abate the mosquito problem. Mm -hmm. And as he does that, he gets sick from the DDT or whatever it is. I think it's DDT that he's breathing in. So it's this wonderful story, both of his own, uh, the illness he has that's caused by this toxin and also um, the environmental effects of this kind of attitude toward um, the other living beings in the world. Mm -hmm. And why I love it is, well, first of all, it's beautiful and moving, but also it asks us to think about medicine in a really broad way, a way that moves from our own experience as somebody who may be sick with something and and something that could actually be part of our environment that we might have done to ourselves with the chemicals we used, but then to think more broadly about how that links up to other beings in the environment and maybe even the earth itself. And I, I really think that that's one of the powers of, of graphic medicine is to ask us to understand both medicine more broadly and actually who the patient is more broadly um, and maybe who the caregivers are. So I would even push it way out to something like Anders Nilsson's Big Questions or some of the work that's looking at climate change right now, which mm-hmm. I personally would put in the category of graphic medicine, uh-huh. but that's because I'm stretching graphic um, <laughs> medicine a lot. It's very stretchable, though, so it's okay, it's pliable. Yeah. Great. Yeah. What about you, Ian? Uh, well, I would, if I have to pick one, uh-huh. I'll pick one that's very personal, personally resonant to me, and that's uh, Justin Green's uh, Binky Brown Meets the Holy Virgin Mary, mm-hmm. which was... Probably, well, it's one of the earliest um, sort of autobiographical comics out there. It was made in 1972. And Justin Green is coming to speak, actually, at our next conference in Riverside. Mm-hmm. So I'm really uh, excited about sort of meeting him. Um, but he wrote this comic. Uh, he was suffering from obsessive compulsive disorder uh, or what was kind of later, you know, determined to be OCD. Um, he didn't really know what he was suffering with when he made the comic, he knew he was suffering from some sort of like um, uh, obsessive neuroses, and um, it's it's very funny. It's about his experience. He was uh, brought up uh, as a Catholic, and his obsessions uh, were became kind of um, uh, well, sort of uh, sexual in nature and blasphemous, and to do with kind of um, the the Virgin Mary. Uh, I won't go into details. It's kind of like. <laughs> It's quite. It's kind of grotesque. It's hilarious. Um, it's 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 brilliant. Um, and it, and it has been personally kind of very important to me because um, uh, the the bad doctor has semi autobiographical autobiographical um, um, bits in it. Uh, because when I was young, I suffered with OCD as well. And in making The Bad Doctor, I was kind of trying to find ways of uh, getting that experience over. Um, so, um, which is, I guess, what I was talking about in with comics artists, trying to find sort of novel ways of, of um, uh, showing what's going on inside their, their brain. But Binky Brown Meets the Holy Virgin Mary is, is absolutely brilliant. It's, it's, it's hilarious. It's funny. Um, I've sort of tracked down a, 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 a first edition of it, so I'm going to take that over to River and get this to sign it. Hopefully. Oh, I love hearing that you're still you're still a fan. That's, that's yeah. great. <laughs> um, yes, I routinely embarrass myself in front of people, but that's not what I'm saying you're going to do. Um, but it's true. Um, uh, so, it, 
as as we're hearing just by you trying to choose one one work that would represent or uh, would like enter someone into this world to get into graphic medicine is to really enter a really big world of of texts but also a burgeoning community of people could you talk a little bit about how graphic medicine has become a community um ian you mentioned that you have a conference coming up um could you tell our listeners a little bit about the conference and how that fits in how graphic medicine has sort of grown as a community and a practice? Yeah, well, um, it is – graphic medicine is is a community. Uh, it's a movement. It's slightly anarchic. We've always kind of up till now um, resisted from kind of formalizing anything. So we have these conferences that are organized by a group of us who um, act, I guess, as a steering committee, but it's been very organic in its growth. And we've had, uh, is this our sixth conference? God, I'm just losing count now. Uh, we, we, we've had them in uh, London, Chicago, Toronto, um, Brighton, uh, last year in um, uh, Johns Hopkins um, and in Washington. Uh, God, no, uh, Baltimore, Baltimore. Sorry, uh, and then Baltimore. Yeah. This this year it's going to be in Riverside. Um, and one of the really exciting things, I mean, right back in that first conference in London. Uh, so a group of us decided to organise this conference. We uh, booked a place in London that had a capacity of 75. We thought, wow, you know, we'll probably get about 25, 30 people coming along. We're interested in it. God knows if anybody else is. But we had, like, it was packed to capacity, and there was such a buzz created at that sort of first meeting that everybody was so excited. And it was like, God, this is amazing. And, and yeah, we had loads of good kind of talks and stuff like that. But the, the, the thing that I remember most about uh, the conference was just the kind of conversations that went on, you know, away from the presentations and, and just in between times and the sort of uh, new conversations that were started. And each time we've had a conference, we've thought, we've, we've kind of thought, oh, you know, last year was so good, it can't get any better. <laughs> it's got better and better. And each year, it's just, it's fantastic. So um, I, I think that is a really important part of it. Um, uh, it's not so much about, you know, presenting a- academic material. Uh, that's part of it. But equally as important is sort of um, talking informally uh, to all the other delegates, um, collaborating on things, um, you know, and, and there are, you know, friendships and collaborations and conversations have started up at these things. Um, and that's a really exciting thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to ask you to come on in. <laughs> well, I was, I was going to say that um, as far as the, community created i'm just thinking i've been spending this whole year in berlin and one of the people that i have been spending time with uh i met at the graphic medicine conference i think it must have been in toronto and now she's living in berlin and she's become a friend in berlin and so it's one of those things where now when you go places there are people you know because of the graphic medicine conferences so that's also lovely and then you're exposed to whatever it is they're working on she's a medical illustrator this is not a community i've spent a lot of time hanging out with before graphic medicine (laughs) but now i'm really enjoying experiencing the view of the world from through the eyes of a medical illustrator who's worked with gunter von hagen's doing learning plastination at his body worlds thing and and um yeah so that's a tremendous part of this it's also extraordinarily welcoming 
I think, to students. In, I mean, speaking as an academic, I have brought my graduate students to this, and um, they've presented at it and found it really wonderful. Some of them have made comics and are going to be um, tabling their comics because we have a section where people can come and sell their comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a colleague from the feminist studies part of the world whom I've known for years and years and years who, when she experienced her own um, lung cancer, took to making comics and now comes as a cartoonist or as a comics creator to show her comics as well as writing about the experience. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's wonderful. You see people transforming themselves mm-hmm. <laughs> and being very excited about it. I, I think guess that's the, right. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say uh, that the, the, the community also operates through, I guess, through the website as well. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to come to a conference to be part of the community. I mean, we, we you know, uh, we... The, the the website you know um, is a, a kind of conduit if you like for people to also sort of communicate and sort of um, uh, pass on information or or get contacts with other people. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of digital virtual kind of side to it as well, I guess. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That's right. I was going to say that too about the website earlier. So it's graphicmedicine.org, mm-hmm. and Ian set it up. And since then, uh, our work has been configuring it so that anyone who comes to the site uh, can poke around and look and see uh, reviews and discussions and kind of what's in the news. But also, um, we want it to serve as a hub for everything at the intersection of comics and medicine. So for example, say I'm a clinician, um, a nephrologist, for example, and I'm curious, is there anything out there about kidneys in comic form or, you know, treatment and living through a, a transplant or anything like that? So I can enter that as a search term and we've tagged all of our entries so that you can then get the results of comics about kidney disorders or nephrology or whatever. So um, that, that we want it to be able to then be kind of the hub for what's out there. And uh, as Ian mentioned, there's a lot of people who are working with us through the site doing reviews. You know, when a book comes out and we're trying to get as much on the site, um, but then, you know, we certainly can't review all these books. Um, we've got people sending us guest reviews, and, and uh, that's been really exciting. And we also want to develop perhaps featuring original work on our site as well. So, uh-huh. um, and then the other thing I was just going to say about the community yeah. is um, what, what's really neat is that I think, you know, Ian, you could speak to this better than I could, but from the very first conference where you, we put out this call of, you know, are there people bringing together comics and medicine? What's been most astonishing is that everyone that came thought they were the only person doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so exciting. And people from literally all over the world, which has really been exciting, um, coming who have been doing this in their own little tiny isolated sphere, perhaps within their own hospital or their own, you know, been the one crazy person doing this crazy thing, can come together in a community and see that there's tons of other people doing this and learn from one another and, as Susan said, form friendships. It's, it's quite amazing because it is a very welcoming and supportive community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I guess I just would like to close yeah. by hearing a little bit um, more elaboration on what's next for each of you and um, what are you working on and what do you kind of hope for the future of graphic uh, medicine, uh, for graphic medicine? Uh, MK, you kind of started us off there. You're kind of talking in that vein. What are you working on now? 
Uh, right now, I'm working uh, a full steam ahead on uh-huh. the project that I started talking about. So uh, mm-hmm. 15 years later, I'm still working on uh-huh. this graphic narrative about the AIDS unit that I worked on in Chicago. And um, I'm about at the halfway point, and Yay. I'm really dedicating, <laughs> dedicating all my work right now to that. Um, and so uh, it's going to be called Taking Turns, and it'll be uh, – I did an oral history of this place, this oh. AIDS unit in Chicago, and I'm integrating my own memoir and um, – and and the oral histories and uh, just quickly that it turns out that the AIDS units on each of the coasts the main kind of model AIDS units on each of the coasts have very significant histories documented but the one in the center of the country that I worked on uh, really had absolutely no history recorded wow. whatsoever and so I want to I can't obviously do that in comprehensive form but I want to be a part of uh, getting that started um, so I'm working on that and then the only other thing I'm doing or I, I obviously I'm still co-running the website with Ian and, and trying to get reviews and things like that and keep up with everything that's happening in graphic narrative. Um, and then the other projects I have going, uh, I'm working with some doctors at the University of Chicago Hospital uh, where we're, we've got some grants to, well, they have grants. I'm just their cartoonist. Um, <laughs> but, but we look at ways in which comics can be used in the inpatient hospital environment to provide care. Mm-hmm. And that's very close to my heart because I want, I really believe as a nurse who makes comics that comics can help make healthcare better. Um, and so, uh, what's wonderful is that these UFC docs have, you know, the funding and the, um, the, the scientific rigor of how to do it right. Um, and they have all this knowledge they can bring to using the comic as an educational tool for the staff and for the patients on an inpatient setting Mm -hmm. and and also in outpatient clinics. But so getting the the comics and, and measuring, we talk about the future. I would love to look at kind of really in, in ways looking at when does a comic work in a healthcare encounter and when doesn't it and when what is the best way to implement comics as a learning tool uh, in patients with patients mm-hmm. great Ian what about you uh, well I have just got a grant from the Arts Council of England uh, to help support me while I work on the follow up to the bad doctor so that's uh, fantastic Ian <laughs> congratulations <laughs> Ian that's great uh, that just came through so that's really good um, mm-hmm. So, uh, and that's great support from, we have the, the Arts Council over here who give grants to um, artists and writers to sort of just help, sort of, you know, uh, support them while they're kind of like making stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm starting to work on that. Uh, I've got other projects on as well, I suppose. Um, after The Bad Doctor came out, I had the opportunity to do some um, work for one of our broadsheet newspapers the guardian so i did a series of uh, strips which kind of looked at the possible future of our national health service um which is not looking great at the moment um so i guess i'm getting political with that and uh, becoming a, something of a political cartoonist and and uh, i'm just uh, going to start doing uh, some some more short strips for, for The Guardian. So I'm um, working on that as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, those kind of, that's enough to keep me going for a bit. <laughs> uh, we, we, you know, we've got ambitions to, to um, you know, upgrade the website further and sort of, uh, you know, expand that uh, when MK and I get a chance with all <laughs> these other things. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's my kind of immediate... Uh, mm-hmm things that I'm working on. Uh-huh. And Susan, so you're still in Berlin now as we're talking to you, right? Yes, uh-huh. yes, I am. And um, I guess the first thing I want to say is Ian and I are also 
working hard with great pleasure on the graphic medicine series from Penn State mm-hmm. Press, and we have other books in the That's pipeline cool. that yeah, are out. As well. <laughs> yeah, uh, and um, more that we are in the process of nurturing, mm-hmm. one of which is MKs, which we're very excited uh-huh. about. And um, so that's continuing. I've just finished, in fact, right before we had our interview, I did the last bit on a book that I've been here writing, which is in the area of um, sort of cultural studies of medicine. It looks at one visual image of development in the life sciences and examines how that image has traveled over into other parts, other areas of human endeavor, particularly into the arts and humanities. And one chapter on that is called Embryo, and it's on graphic medicine, particularly um, the genre I call graphic embryos, comics that, that deal with embryos. Um, so I'm, that's been a lot of fun. I'm about to go to Cambridge and present on that at mm-hmm. the Cambridge Reproductive Sociology Conference. Mm-hmm. Um, and Are you back to that, teaching in the fall? I am back to teaching in the fall. I have some hope. Oh, I'll be teaching my comics course in the spring, and I'm going to be going to Madison um, to give a week of lectures there, and I'm really hoping that maybe I can connect up with Linda Berry, and maybe even MK would come up, and we could co-teach a class mm-hmm. by Skype or something, by video conferencing with my comics group back in the back in the States. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, lots to do there. So, oh, and I'm also working with a, a colleague on a comics collection. It's in very early stages, but it's going to be on uh, pregnancy, miscarriage, infertility, and abortion mm-hmm. comics on that. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we will edit it and provide the introduction. Fantastic. Well, I want to thank you all for talking with me about uh, the field of graphic medicine, about all of your individual work, and the new book, Graphic Medicine Manifesto. Um, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for thank having you so much.